electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Pfizer's coronavirus vaccine is even more successful than preliminary data revealed. We'll hear from Dr. Scott Gottlieb. These vaccines have the potential to be real game changers as we go into 2021. You can effectively end the U.S. epidemic if you're able to widely deploy a vaccine that's more than 95% effective. And Boeing 737 MAX is finally on its way back to commercial service. After 20 months of safety reviews, the FAA has ungrounded the plane. Administrator Steve Dixon. I'm 100% confident it's the most scrutinized transport airplane in history and it's ready to go. Plus, the FAA responds to concerns that it's been too cozy with Boeing in the past. This is not the old FAA relationship with Boeing. We have reset that relationship. It's Wednesday, November 18th, 2020. we got to crank it up. Crank up the production. Let's get going. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Mike Santoli. Andrew is off today. Good watching. First up today on the podcast, a bleak picture from the White House Task Force on the Coronavirus. The group's most recent report, obtained by NBC News, warns there is, quote, now aggressive, unrelenting, expanding, broad community spread across the country without evidence of improvement, but rather further deterioration. The report adds the upcoming Thanksgiving holiday has the potential to amplify transmission considerably. November is now the worst month of the pandemic for COVID infections, and it's only the 18th. The U.S. is recording 157,000 new cases per day, nearly 30 percent higher than just a week ago. It's a bit of a game changer with a new announcement from the FDA. The FDA has approved emergency use for the first COVID-19 test that can be conducted entirely at home. This is something a lot of people have been waiting for. I didn't think it would come this quickly. Uh, the test, which provides results in just 30 minutes, is produced by a privately held biotech company called Lucera Health. And here's how it works. A patient collects a swab sample from their nose. You swirl it in a vial, which is then placed in a test unit, and the results are made visible on the device's light-up display within 30 minutes. Again, this seems like a, a big game-changer to me. The FDA said that those who test positive should seek additional care, and those who test negative but still experience symptoms should follow up with a health care provider. But the difference being... You don't have to go stand in line with other people. It, it, here, here's the issue with, with testing and that I've realized pretty recently myself with the things we've dealt with. If you are asymptomatic, but you've been exposed to someone, you should go get a test to make sure that you are not a carrier and, and, and moving around with this. But if you want to get a test, a lot of times you have to go stand in line with a bunch of people who are symptomatic. And that to me seems a little riskier than maybe just hanging out and trying to hide back if you can for, and not expose other people to this. But that's not easy to do. It means you can't go to school. It means you can't go to work. And that is something that we've been waiting for something like this. Um, my questions are, when can you get it? How available will it be? Could I order these things? And how much do they cost? Yeah. And, and how many false positives? Are, we saw positives. Elon Musk. I mean, what good is that? Two and two. Let's right. see. Uh, you know, yeah. two plus, two minus. 
the, uh, I, just, just in, for, for disclosure, I did, I went to the doctor yesterday. You know, I'm old, I got things on my skin. You never know what anything is anymore, right? Basil, all that kind of weird stuff, okay? Uh, and yeah. just, just the people that are there, I, I just, I, I appreciate it so much. Just the lady behind the glass, you know, that checks you in. It's like, you're here every day, aren't you? Because I was uncomfortable there for, for an hour. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not petrified, but, but there's a lot of people in the waiting room, and you're in a, a setting where, yeah. you know, you're in a, uh, in a, doctor, a doctor's office. And, and usually you don't even want right. to go to a, a supermarket. So you know, and then I think about my doctor, and I'm like, God, thank you. You know, the, the, you're here every day, aren't you, yes. for like 12 hours. And, and I think about uh, that. I was thinking about that, though, with the dentist yesterday, because you're, right. you have somebody breathing on you all day, every day. The dentist, the orthodontist, really grateful for what they're doing with going in and yeah. still doing this, and they have worked hard to keep safe. Um, they have some serious, my doctor had some serious protective equipment on. When he walked in, it was like, whoa, like 2001 or something. Uh, you know, the, he was uh, everything. It's like, well, um, is that Given for me? the specimen, I understand. Yeah, 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 for who we had to see. No, but you figure that at 95, the, the face mask, the protective equipment, you, you want to have all that stuff, but they're there to perform their, what, what they would do at any given time. And, it, you know, dermatology has nothing to do with COVID, but life goes on. You better get things, you know, looked at if, if you need to. And, and um, it's just a weird, I said to Mac, I looked out there today at, out in Times Square, everybody's got winter clothing on now. They're all bundled up and they're all in masks. It looks like some weird post-apocalyptic scene. There's, you know, there's not there, but earlier. It's, it's just, we're living in, unprecedented uh, times that that's why when we hear about either Pfizer or Moderna, it's like it can't come soon enough. But thank goodness it, it might thank happen. Goodness. It might actually it might happen yeah. and, it, and it might it might work. And by summer, by next summer, so think getting if we're getting to that point. You think see if a, we're doing you see that a light again, at the end of the tunnel. Summer. Right. I know. You see a light at the end of the tunnel. Hey, Mike, right. you have any personal stories you want to show with us? You know, the main <laughs> one, and it's not really personal, but I just see the lines around the block at the, like, the urgent care centers in the city. And, uh, and you know, you mm -hmm. have to assume that's most of, most of it is COVID tests, maybe precautionary, uh, but it's just really grown yeah. in, the last, uh, in the last couple of weeks. One other thing, an update very quickly. I take back most of the nice things I just said about that at-home test because there's some other information that I just found out. It's not going to be widely available until the spring. It costs $50, and it has to be prescribed by a doctor. So all of the things I was thinking that would make it so useful right now are, are null and void. Right. Although the, the prescription is getting easier and easier to, to do without a personal visit, isn't it? But if you need a prescription for, for this, that means you're going to have to then order the test and wait for it. And what good is that? If I can't I go buy so. it so immediately, be, right. have it, it on it, hand, it thanks, be, but it, no thanks. Well, you could, if it's at a farm, well, you'd have to go pick it up. Get the guy to call, you get your doctor Well, that, that's okay. If it was available immediately, if the doctor called it in and it did it, fine, and I then guess you went maybe. In but to it's your, not even to, widely to the available place where the you like to go. You need it right now. Yeah, yeah. to the place where you the like spring, to go. spring, I'm hoping cases will have come down. Prices will have come down by the spring, I would hope. I mean, the lines at these testing places will have come down by then. You need it right, right. now because the lines are so long at these places. Well, it's not available for But if, if you could get it. You get your doctor to call in the prescription to it, your Walgreens right and go in yeah. and pick it up right away, and you could get it that day. And then it would it be, the, yes, then it would be worthwhile. Yeah, but it doesn't let you do some kind of available. routine screening just because you have, you know, uh, you want to be careful. and You have to have probably, a, you know, right. cause to have a doctor prescribe it. So, yeah, hopefully in the spring right. It's, right. it's beside the point, uh, and we're no longer looking for these things.
Pfizer releasing more details from its COVID vaccine trials. Meg Trell joins us now with more. You, you got to admit, it's a little bit funny. They start with 90. Moderna, uh, it, it, Sputnik goes 92. And then Moderna comes out 94.5. Now we see the actual results are 95. It's, it's, it, it, it's, it's a coincidence that it almost looks like they're out doing it. But to be fair, Pfizer had originally said over 90 percent. So and, and you implied at the time it could be 95, but very similar. And who's counting 94 and a half, 95? Uh, seems like they're pretty close and very effective, which is great. Very effective. That is the bottom line, Joe. We now have two of these uh, COVID-19 vaccines, the first two out of the gate that have shown 94.5% or 95% this morning for Pfizer efficacy in preventing cases of COVID-19. Now, the reason that the numbers changed, last week, the look that Pfizer gave us on Monday was from their first interim look at, uh, at the trial. And they didn't have all of the cases that would be considered uh, the complete efficacy look at the trial. They just took that interim look. Uh, but because, of course, there is so much infection in the country right now, the cases mounted up very quickly. And now they've passed, really, the end of the trial uh, in terms of the numbers of cases they needed to declare the, the efficacy point. So they've seen 170 total cases at this point. 162 of those cases were among people who took the placebo, who did not get the vaccine. Eight were among people on the vaccine. Importantly, they also saw severe cases of COVID-19 in this trial. Ten of those and nine of them were among people who did not get the vaccine. So the ability to protect against severe disease is something experts were really looking out for here. Also, the fact that this protectiveness appeared to be similar across age groups and backgrounds in the trial. 94% efficacy among people over 65. Now, they also looked at safety, of course. They said no serious safety concerns. There are side effects here. After the second dose in particular, you do have sort of intense cases for some people of headache and fatigue that typically resolves quickly, but it won't be easy for everybody to take necessarily. Um, Pfizer and BioNTech say they plan to submit their application to the FDA within days. They're also talking with regulators around the world, guys. Um, so this is just more good news. That number, once they got to the final efficacy point, 95% efficacy for this COVID-19 vaccine, guys. We've got to crank it up, crank up the production, Meg. Let's get going. Let's get uh, 24 hours, right? Let's get, uh, you know, overnight, keep people, uh, pay them overtime. We've got to make this stuff from both, uh, from both sides. Meg, I have a, a quick, I, I heard Albert Borler call it um, BioNTech Bi too, but is it, is it BioNTech or is it BioNTech? I think they, they capitalized that end, but then they gave up. I think, <laughs> I think they gave up. They messed up with the name. No one's ever going to call it BioNTech. Uh, and now people are just saying, ah, oh, hell, it's BioNTech. Do you know? Well, actually, Joe, we had BioNTech CEO on. And he and called we it BioNTech? Him, the first question was, how do you pronounce it? He said it's either BioNTech or BioNTech. He did not say BioNTech, which is the, <laughs> okay. the spelling you would think was most likely. So I know. no answers I there. All, all I know, what's that one, Marin? Bio, BioMarin, because it's Marin. I know that one we've messed up for a while, but it, it's in Marin County. So it's BioMarin, <laughs> not, not BioMarin. All right. These are the important things, Meg. That's great. That is awesome. And, uh, you know, for a while it looked like, uh, right, I was going to ask for Moderna. I, we, we have said, and I made a, a point that will there come a day where there could be a difference on which one you would want if, if they were all available. My point was that with personalized genetics and with, uh, with underlying medical conditions, we may find out that an adeno uh, for some people, mediated might not be as safe or might have more side effects, perhaps, than just a, an mRNA. So you actually might, from your doctor, get a recommendation that uh, differentiates between the different offerings for vaccines. Hopefully we get to that point. 
Yeah, I mean, we have to see the next data, and those adeno uh, vector vaccines are next up. You know, AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson they started their trials a month and two months after Pfizer and Moderna, and so we're going to get their results next, probably by the end of the year or early next year. And then we'll start to be able to compare. But until then, the prioritized groups, once these mRNA vaccines from Moderna and Pfizer get on the market, uh, they will start to get vaccinated. And then hopefully more production will come from them. The other manufacturers will come online. This is the way that they envision this uh, at Operation Warp Speed. And it's really playing out. We have to cross our fingers for similar efficacy and safety in the next vaccines to come. Hey, Meg, do you think Senator Grassley is getting infused with the with Regeneron. I'll bet you uh, with, with that antibody. I bet you he is, wouldn't you think? I don't know. I was sad to hear of his diagnosis, given his age. Um, I know. And, um, you know, it's interesting a... you mentioned Regeneron. Yeah. They haven't received their FDA emergency use authorization for their antibody yet, whereas Eli Lilly has. Maybe Eli Lilly. Uh, and so that would be the easier for him got, to get. Uh, the president about, got Regeneron. Yeah, why right? Regeneron hasn't been. Yeah, he the did, got and, and it's it's a bit odd, yeah. yeah so we okay. haven't heard from the FDA on Regeneron's drug yet, and and people are waiting. Uh, you know, they they did have one of their trials paused, but in yeah. more severe hospitalized patients, not in the indication they applied for the FDA's green light on. So okay. so it is a question, you know, what, what's going to happen with that drug? Thanks, Meg. See ya. A new study that shows COVID immunity lasts longer than originally thought. We're joined by Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former FDA commissioner, CNBC contributor, and of course he sits on the boards of Illumina and, uh, and Pfizer. So the Pfizer news, we, when it came out uh, initially, doctor was over 90. So I, they probably knew it was close to 95%. So maybe not that big a surprise, but certainly gratifying because it's very similar to Moderna's number. Yeah, look, they, these are great results. Um, these vaccines have the potential to be real game changers as we go into 2021. Um, you can effectively end the U.S. epidemic if you're able to widely deploy a vaccine that's more than you know, 90% effective. That's 95% effective. Um, so hopefully people will take these vaccines. Hopefully they're demonstrated to be safe and effective in the full data set and the, the data continues to accrue favorably. But these are great results. I mean, these are stunning results with both of these vaccines. I don't think anybody really expected the vaccines to be this efficacious. And it tells us a lot about immunity against COVID-19, um, that the virus does seem to be sensitive to antibodies and antibody production. So not just vaccines, but also the antibody-based drugs that Regeneron and Lilly are developing. So doctor, we all aren't experts on uh, uh, the immune system. The, the vaccines you get when you're a kid that last almost your entire life, maybe you need a, a booster or something. What, what is the difference between the target disease and COVID, which made people think it could be three months worth of immunity? What, what would be the difference there? And, and then, we, you know, then we know about flu shots every season, but flu, I think influenza mutates. It's a different version. So we can understand that. What, why would you think you wouldn't be immune for, longer, for a longer period with COVID? Well, it depends on what the vaccines are doing, and it depends on when you get infected, what kind of immune response you're generating. If it's just an antibody response that you're generating that's going to be protective against the virus, antibodies wane over time. You don't, you don't have circulating antibodies in perpetuity. You have what's called memory B cells that are pre-programmed to start producing antibodies quickly when, they're, when they confront the virus again in the future. But you don't have those antibodies circulating that create sterilization in your blood. So you could get reinfected again. Um, the question is, do these vaccines and does exposure to COVID induce a fuller complement of immune cells 
um, those T cells and those memory cells that could confer immunity in perpetuity or for a longer period of time. With SARS and MERS, we saw that. When people were infected with SARS and MERS, other coronaviruses similar to COVID, they had a more enduring immunity. We weren't sure that, that this, this virus, this uh, COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, was going to induce that long-term immunity. Some of the accruing data does seem to demonstrate it does. And with respect to the vaccines, we assessed the vaccines early on on their ability to generate an antibody response. But what we've seen in the early data, in the phase one, phase two data, and the studies we've done, including non-human primate studies, is that these mRNA vaccines seem to induce also a T-cell response. And so the hope is that the immunity you get is going to be more enduring. That might, that, that might mean you still need an annual injection or you need, you need some kind of regular schedule, maybe every two years of, of a booster with these vaccines, but that if you get infected in between, if you're generating also a T-cell response in addition to an antibody response, you're going to have some level of protection against more severe disease. That's the hope, that these vaccines are also inducing a T-cell response and a fuller complement of an immune response, similar to what the infection seems to be doing, um, referencing the study that you just cited. We have been talking about the flu season overlapping, and it's not quite time yet. And we've also talked about the southern hemisphere, uh, where you really didn't see the, the same severity. And, and it, it, it can be, it be totally uh, attributed to different behavior, more hand washing and, and less social contact? Or does there seem to be something that we don't understand genetically crossover between these, these viruses or immune systems? Or can you explain it, Doctor, why, why we may have a really anemic flu season, which would be great, but you know, it's a small Yeah, it small does appear game. that the mitigation that we're taking, right, it appears in the mitigation that we're taking to try to thwart the spread of, of coronavirus, of COVID-19, is exquisitely effective against flu. And that may be because of the way flu spreads. Um, you know, flu spreads from one person to two people, from one person to three people. COVID spread, spreads from one person to 90 people. Um, you have these super spreading events that account for more of the spread. So if you have population-based mitigation you're, with flu, you're cutting down on a lot of the uh, routine spread of flu. With COVID, yeah. you still get spread because it's these super spreading events. So Amazing. it may be the case that the mitigation tactics work better against flu than they right. do against COVID, even right. though they work against COVID. We all, you know, we feel like we're, we're way too um, reckless as a country in terms of the way we're dealing with COVID. But in fact, it, it's plenty of mitigation to deal with, a, with the flu, which we didn't know all along. So that just shows you that it's not perfect, but people are, are, are trying to something. So we just need to do more and more mess uh, and everything else. Well, it's going to be, as, as we keep hearing, uh, 0.45 mortality as, as we... You know, as we see, as we go to 30 percent from 15 percent infected, that is going to, to just result in really terrible mortality figures, uh, even though we've we take care of people much better. Yeah, look, we see the light at the end of the tunnel now. I mean, these vaccines could effectively end the epidemic, the U.S. epidemic in 2021 as we more widely deploy them. We're still going to have a challenge getting them around globally. We just have a hard two to three months to get through. I, you know, I think we need to think about what temporary sacrifices we're willing to make, including economically, with Congress stepping in for another round of PPE to, PPP to so support businesses that are going to be shut over the next two, two to three months, because this may be the last time we have to do it. So we really should do what we can to try to preserve life over the next two or three months, recognizing that there's really a better future ahead of us with respect at least to COVID-19 in 2021. All right, doctor. Thank you. Once again, for the uh, addressing any subject uh, that, that we come up with, and um, we will we will speak to you, uh, and uh, we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks. Probably tomorrow. Thanks. All right.
Next, on Squawk Pod, the FAA has ungrounded the Boeing 737 MAX aircraft after a 600-day journey since the plane's two deadly crashes. FAA Administrator Steve Dixon joined us an hour after he made the call. I would put my own family on it. I plan to fly on it myself, but the public will certainly have to make good decisions. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. The Boeing 737 MAX is back. It has been 20 months since the Federal Aviation Administration grounded the aircraft after two nearly new planes crashed within five months of each other, resulting in the preventable deaths of 346 people. Today, FAA Administrator Steve Dixon signed an order paving the way for the 737 MAX's return to commercial service after nearly a year of comprehensive safety reviews. In the time since the MAX's ban from the skies, Boeing CEO Dennis Mullenberg left his role at the head of the company to be replaced by board chairman Dave Calhoun, and damning internal communications about cutting corners at Boeing came to light. The FAA felt pressure of its own as industry employees, lawmakers, and the public claimed the regulator was too close to Boeing to properly assess it. Now that the 737 MAX is up to FAA standards, who will be the first to fly it? American Airlines is slated to be the first airline to return the craft to the skies, aiming for flights to begin in December of this year. Here's CNBC's auto and airline industry reporter Phil LeBeau kicking off a CNBC exclusive conversation. Let's bring in FAA Administrator Steve Dixon, joining us from FAA headquarters in Washington. Administrator Dixon, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, I think a lot of people are hearing this news, and they knew it was coming, and yet you know that a lot of people in the flying public are going to listen to this, and they're going to say, nope, I don't trust it. Why should they believe that this plane is safe? Well, good morning, Phil. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning, and uh, I'm very proud of the work that uh, the FAA team has done on this airplane. I'm 100% confident. Uh, it's the most scrutinized transport airplane in history, uh, and it's, it's ready to go. So less than an hour ago, I rescinded the uh, grounding order that had been put in place in March of last year. We've got, uh, this is not the end of this uh, safety journey. There's a lot of work that the airlines and the FAA and Boeing will have to do in the coming weeks and months, uh, but we are entering a new phase uh, with respect to the 737 MAX. You flew the MAX on a test flight. I think it was about a month, month and a half ago. You said you liked how it felt. But I've talked with a number of pilots, and they have said, look, I want to see those procedures that are being modified for people flying the 737 MAX. And if I'm not comfortable, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. So what do you say to those pilots who will look at these new procedures, which you just published this morning, and if they say they're not comfortable, what are they supposed to do? Well, uh, Phil, it's a... you know, this airplane, uh, the work that we have done with the design changes and the training uh, changes that uh, will be made uh, to the operators and that pilots will be, uh, will be, the training that pilots will be undergoing makes it essential, it makes it impossible for the airplanes uh, to have the same kind of accidents uh, that kill, unfortunately killed 
346 people in the uh, Ethiopian Airlines and the Lion Air accidents. Those accident scenarios, those conditions can no longer happen. Uh, so, you know, the training is, uh, was reviewed by an international panel of, of pilots. They accomplished it over a, over a 10 day period and, uh, and we have incorporated all of their recommendations. We have taken public comments and adjudicated all of those comments in the Flight Standardization Board report and uh, the, the, the training is uh, uh, very straightforward. Uh, I did it and uh, for anyone who's an experienced 737 pilot, uh, it will, uh, uh, I think it'll be a good program. As you know, you've heard from a number of the families of uh, victims of the 346 people who were killed in the two 737 MAX crashes. They wanted a complete redo. They believe that this plane should have been modified much more extensively uh, for a variety of reasons having to do with the engines, the landing gear, etc. And when we've talked with them, all of them have said the same thing, including Michael Stumo, whose daughter Samya died in the Ethiopian air crash. Uh, we talked with him just a couple of days ago and we said, how do you feel about the fact that the FAA is close to recertifying this plane? I want you to react to what he had to say to us. Here's what he told us. They cut corners in the original design and they're cutting corners on the fixes. It's not a safe plane. They've refused to do fixes that were pointed out and passengers should just simply avoid it and try to, try to find another plane. Your reaction, Administrator Dixon? Well, first of all, uh, the families, uh, the victims in these crashes have been foremost in my thoughts and foremost in the thoughts uh, and prayers of everyone at the FAA for the last, uh, the last 20 months as we have gone through this, this effort. Uh, I can tell you that I am 100% confident in the actions that we have taken, uh, the design changes that have been put in place uh, with the 737 MAX, and I would put my own family on it. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I understand uh, the concerns, and this is a time to, uh, certainly for, uh, for humility. Uh, this is not uh, the old FA relationship with Boeing. We have reset that relationship, and we will continue to have uh, a very safety-focused and compliance-focused relationship with Boeing and all manufacturers uh, going forward. You mentioned that relationship with Boeing over the last year and a half. There were some really damaging emails that came out uh, from some of the Boeing engineers as they were putting the MAX through its certification originally. Uh, essentially, they were mocking the FAA. And a lot of people said, look, there's too cozy of a relationship between the FAA and Boeing. And now you're going to have your people individually certifying each aircraft to make sure that these changes have been made before they can go back into service. How do you reassure people that you are tough enough on Boeing? Well, it's a great question. And as I said, uh, one of the things that we have done during this uh, whole process over the last several months is that we have reset the relationship with Boeing. And I have visited uh, with my team in aircraft certification and flight standards, my whole aviation uh, safety team, and I have uh, repeatedly uh, assured them uh, that I have their back and that they are to take whatever time is necessary uh, to, comp to, uh, to do all the due diligence that's required to make sure that this airplane is safe and that we, uh, we have a very robust process. Uh, also, our work has been uh, validated by a technical advisory board and that's something that we will incorporate into our future uh, certification projects on other aircraft. Uh, and I've also uh, had uh, these same conversations with Boeing leadership 
And as you know, there have been some changes at Boeing over the last few months. Yep. Uh, but you can't just move boxes around on the organizational chart or put new, uh, new people in to get the kind of safety culture that you want. So this is going to be something that we're going to continue to look at very closely. When was the last time you talked with Dave Calhoun, the CEO of Boeing? Uh, and did you talk to him this morning? Did you call him and say, look, it's officially ungrounded? Uh, and, and what are the status? Uh, how would you characterize the relationship you have with Dave Calhoun right now? Uh, the relationship with the Boeing leadership is very professional. And, uh, you know, we need to, uh, to collaborate for aviation safety. I understand they have a business to run, but we are the aviation safety regulator. I've made that very clear. Uh, to Mr. Calhoun and the entire Boeing leadership, and that was the, ba uh, the basis, the foundation of our discussions when I was out in Seattle at the end of September to fly the airplane, and I expect that to continue going forward. I have not talked to Mr. Calhoun yet. Uh, I will be speaking with him uh, in the coming hours, uh, probably tomorrow, and, uh, but today I'm making calls to stakeholders. Uh, we're having a couple of briefings for our oversight committees on Capitol Hill, and I will, uh, I do plan to speak to the families uh, this afternoon. Administrator Dixon, you are, uh, this order, uh, ungrounding the MAX. I know you're expecting probably Brazil will follow closely, if not today, uh, and then EASA and Canada relatively soon. What about China? What's your sense about when the Chinese uh, Aviation Authority will say, yeah, uh, we, we approve with uh, what the FAA has done here, uh, because that's such a critical market for Boeing and for the MAX. Well, we've worked, as you said, Phil, we've worked very closely with all of the international uh, regulators, all of our counterparts around the world, particularly the other states of design that you mentioned, Brazil, Canada, and, uh, and EASA. And there's very little daylight between us. And we have outreach sessions uh, scheduled uh, between now and the first week of December to go over all of our, uh, all of our processes and, uh, and really get into how we conducted this review. Uh, we've also released a 100-page uh, report with uh, detailed information about uh, how this whole process worked, and we will be having those discussions with the, uh, with the Chinese regulators along with everyone else. Administrator Dixon, one last question because we know you've got a busy day. Um, as you've gone through this entire process, I'm sure you have heard from friends, family, others who at some point have said, you know what? This leaves a really bad taste in my mouth about the MAX. Even after you make all the changes, the training changes, the software changes, and I'm just not sure I can get on this plane. What do you say to the people who six months from now might be on a flight and they look down at their ticket and they see that it's a 737 MAX? Well, the 737 MAX, as I said, it is the most scrutinized uh, transport airplane in history. And uh, we have, you know, this is not a typical certification process that we have, we have undergone. Uh, the, the system has been redesigned to the point that these accident scenarios could never happen. Uh, and beyond that, the 737 family has uh, a long and storied uh, safety history. I believe over something like 190 million flights uh, with uh, you know, a tremendous safety record and uh, the MAX is, is, being, is, is being added into that operational family. So, uh, again, I would put my own family on it. Uh, I plan to fly on it myself, and, uh, but, but the public will, have to, will certainly have to make its, uh, its decisions. But I believe uh, that it is, uh, it is a safe aircraft. It meets our uh, safety and certification standards. 
uh, and I'll stand behind that. Steve Dixon, administrator for the FAA, joining us from the FAA headquarters this morning. Steve, thank you very much. I know it's been a long road and we've been in touch a lot, and I'm sure we'll be talking more in the uh, months to come as we see the uh, MAX now moving forward and eventually into commercial service. Joe and Becky, just so you know, the first commercial flight that we're expecting is from American Airlines at the end of December. Keep in mind, they still need to make the software changes to the aircraft as well as institute the pilot training procedures that have now been uh, certified or approved by the FAA. But that is the expectation. Maybe the end of December could be the first time we see a commercial flight with the 737 MAX. Right. Then it uh, starts flying and, and we see and time goes by and hopefully everything's fine and, and maybe someday it'll be, oh yeah, I'm going on, I, you know, not even notice yeah. that it's a 730 MAX. That if there are no incidents, you, you could say two years from now people will look back and say, yeah, that was a really bad situation there. But if there are no incidents going forward from here, the, the memories of the public, take time. It, it fades. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that'll, that'll happen with thousands and thousands of flights, uh, yep. which that's, that's about the only way, I guess, Phil, really, to, to regain everything. Anyway. Yeah, thank, and th that'll be the ultimate uh, proving of, of confidence in the plane. Right. All right, Phil, thanks. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Thanks to Mike Santoli for sitting in the last few days. Tune in to Squawk Box weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. And subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.